You're listening to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carriger. On this podcast, we discuss what successful leaders are doing, saying, and thinking. Now let's dive in. In this episode, I'll share perspectives and observations of high-performing and healthy teams. In my work as an executive coach, trainer, and facilitator, I frequently work with team leaders and team members. It is from this work and my own experience as a team leader that I'd like to share these observations and perspectives. Let me begin by asking you a question. This is a question I often ask people in attendance at team-focused trainings. I'd like for you to think of the best team that you've been on, the best team you've ever been a part of. What made that team so effective? Likely, you've been on numerous teams, going back to even your school days where perhaps you were on an athletic team. All through your work experience, think of all the teams you've been on. Which one would you say was the best team? What made it the best? Give you just a moment to think about that. There are a number of common answers that I receive at these trainings. Quite often, people will say, well, there's a high level of trust. And as we dig into that, what does that mean is there was trust in the leader? And that usually, trust in a leader typically stems from a a belief in their capability. They're up to the job that they have. They can do the job. And they are considered to be a person of integrity, which generally means they keep commitments. If a leader says, hey, I'll do this or I'll do that, then they do it. Their word is as good as a contract. And people begin to build trust in their capability and in their ability and, um, and consistency in keeping commitments. There's also a trust in teammates, People tell me that they trusted their teammates. What that stems from is uh, teammates that do their part. They do their role. They do their assignment. They come through. They, they will take care of their business, and they're good to be on a team with. They're a good teammate. They're not just self-focused, but they're, they have a focus on the larger perspective, the greater good, the team itself. There's trust that's developed from a, an ability to, that one sees in a teammate's uh, willingness and capability to do their job. They'll take care of their part. And they're, they're a good person to be on a team with. They're, they're um, uh, someone that you, you want to be on a team with. They're, they're, they're trustworthy. Uh, they, they have a degree of humility. They own mistakes. They share credit. Um, all of those things that we look for in the most valued teammates. I think there are other reasons where people uh, commonly say uh, what made it the best team, that they'll point to the talent of their team. And let's talk about talent for a minute because talent is, a pers- is certainly a component of the most effective teams. And depending on, on the endeavor, no matter – uh, what it is, you, you have to have team members that have enough talent that they can do the endeavor. Okay, whatever it is. You know, if we, if we own a restaurant, we need our chef to be able to uh, perform their duties, to cook at a, at a high level based on our restaurant. They have to be able to do that. So you have to have people who are capable of doing the work. 
talent does matter, and the most effective teams are talented. They have people who are good at the roles they have. They have people that can do the job, the task at hand. So talent matters. You know, I, I, I was a former high school basketball coach, and, and I, I'll make this observation about talent. Um, you can't win big. Okay, in, in basketball language, you can't win a championship without talent. But you can lose with it. What am I saying? Well, talent alone is not a guarantee. Your team will be effective, will be successful, will accomplish its objectives. You can be talented and your team be not well aligned. There's infighting, there's dysfunction, there's seemingly a never-ending uh, array of issues. And that talent is squandered because the team doesn't, it doesn't align itself and focus on the objective, the greater objective. There's there's infighting, there's dysfunction. Uh, talent alone is not a guarantee you'll win, but not having talent is a guarantee that you won't. So you have to have talent, but you have to do something with that talent. You have to be able to marshal that talent. You have to be able to lead that talent. You have to be able to align that talent, put them in the right roles, and let them work. We want our teams to be more led than managed. We want to get the right people, put them in the right roles, and lead them and the and the the, the team as a whole to be successful. Not over manage them to where we stifle people's uh, creativity or we stifle people's uh, ability to be owners in the team. Uh, other answers that I commonly receive: what made the uh, a particular team the best team is that it was uh, healthy, that the culture was was strong, and that um, uh, it was a safe place to to offer your perspective. I definitely see on the most effective teams, uh, these teams had the capability to create an environment, and this is a leadership function. They create an environment where people feel comfortable in sharing their perspectives and offering their ideas. In fact, I believe on the best teams, people understand that they have a responsibility to share their perspectives so that all perspectives are considered. And then whoever's in charge of that particular situation of making a decision makes a decision. And then unless that decision is unethical or illegal, we go out and we align behind the decision. There's a debate phase or a discussion phase, and in that phase, it ought to be safe to offer uh, a perspective, even if it if if it's different than that of the team lead. By the way, if you're the team lead and you want discussion, don't offer your opinion until everyone else has had an opportunity. Because once you offer your opinion, for some people, you've greatly impacted their ability to feel safe and comfortable in sharing a perspective that might be different from yours. They they don't want to disagree with you. And some of that may just be based on respect or or just a, a reluctance or fear to do so. But if you're the team lead, let others share their perspective first. If you're looking for debate or discussion, give them a chance to share their perspective first. A, a healthy culture it, culture is the way we do our work. It, it involves everything about the way we do our work. It's the values and mores and the norms and the way we interact with one another and the way we interact with our customers. It's what we expect from each other. It's the way we do our work. 
And quite often, one of the answers I receive, what made the team you're thinking of the best team that you've ever been on is because it had such a healthy culture. And then another answer that I'm commonly given is that their team was well-led. And I definitely see that component. I think it's possible that teams can be so capable, so talented, that perhaps um, the, the talent just overcomes perhaps a, 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 a bit of a shortcoming in leadership. But that's going to catch up to a team in time. A team can't continue to be successful without effective leadership. And so effective leadership, credible leadership, um, keeping in mind that leadership is best transferred uh, through example. Leadership has always been best conveyed by example. And we need our leaders to be showing the way, modeling the way. When, when a leader's words and actions align, um, there's great credibility that comes with that. When a leader's actions and words don't align, uh, people just watch what, our, what we're doing and they don't pay as much attention to what we're saying. The answers to the question, what made the best team that you've ever been on the best are surprisingly common, regardless of the group that I'm speaking to. Regardless of the industry or forum, the answers are typically among those that I provided. I think one other uh, answer that I receive quite often uh, relates to clarity. And, and I, I think that that's around the most effective teams have a clarity of objective. In other words, they know what the objective is and they know what business they're in. They, in, in simple terms, they know what success looks like. Let's take a football team for a moment as an example. Football teams are comprised of everyone who has a role on the team. Coaches, players, support personnel, you name it. Every role matters or we wouldn't have it. Some of the roles receive more attention. Some of the roles uh, receive more acclaim. Some of the roles certainly uh, are more visible. Some of the roles may even uh, have a greater contribution to the team's success. But every role has some significance or we wouldn't have that role. But if you look at a football team, and I'm not a football coach, but if you look at a football team, there's the, the larger team where all the parts combine to make the whole. That's the football team. But if you break down the team, you, you could see at least three sub-teams and probably people who are experts in football would be able to drill down even further into these sub-teams. But the, the three sub-teams would be offense, defense, and special teams. Three sub-teams. This group of these groups of people, the offensive team, is working together to accomplish an objective. The defensive team is a group of people working to, uh, together to accomplish objective. And the special teams are a group of people working together to accomplish objectives. These three sub-teams comprise the larger team as a whole. And this is something I want to make clear. The objective, obviously, the, the, obje- the sub-teams all have ob- objectives. But the objectives that matter most is that of the larger team. When a team wins, we don't just, they don't just celebrate one sub-team. They celebrate the whole. When a team loses, if one of the sub-teams had a great day, but the larger team lost, we would think it's silly that the, 
the sub-team that had such a good day would be out on the field celebrating. Well, the larger team didn't accomplish its objectives, so there wouldn't be a celebration. Sometimes on teams, we let the sub-teams become more important than the larger team. We let a sub-team that maybe is very well-led, a sub-team that is very successful, and that's important. We need our sub-teams to be effective. We need our sub-teams to be well-led because those sub-teams combine to form the larger team, but it's the larger team that has the most significance, and that's the team we have to keep our, our eye on the most. How's the larger team doing? Yes, it matters how the sub-teams are doing, but let's not lose sight of what ultimately determines our success or lack of success, and that is the, the performance of the larger team. Does, does your team know the ultimate measure of success or effectiveness? It, are there questions about how we measure our effectiveness? What are the key metrics that we're looking at to determine our effectiveness or success? That's an essential question. And in my perspective, as I look at the most effective teams, that's not a secret. That is well-known and well-communicated. That Everyone knows how we're determining our um, degree of success, what our objectives are, what we're going after, so that everyone understands how they combine to play a role in that. Speaking of roles, I think the clarity of roles, responsibility, and authority is is another area that I observe on the most effective teams. People know what role they're in, what their responsibilities are, and what their authorities are to make decisions. Um, That capability, clarity, is an essential function of leadership around teams. Where there's confusion, there's underperformance, there's misalignment. Where there's clarity, we have greater potential to be aligned and perform at our highest possible level. Let me ask you a question. What do you as a team leader do when your team experiences a success or setback? Think about it. For whatever industry you're in, whatever level Uh, of team leadership uh, you're at today, what do you as a team leader do when your team experiences a success or a setback? An observation. I've observed that the most effective leaders, when their team accomplishes an objective, experiences success, has a great quarter, has a great year, whatever the measurement is, completes a project on time and under budget, whatever we're talking about, I've observed when a team experiences success, the most effective leaders point the spotlight to the team. We know that when a team does well, there'll always be plenty of credit for the leader or leaders. We know that. But I've observed that these leaders, they don't seek the spotlight. They understand that comes with the territory, but they point the spotlight as best they can towards the team and the team's accomplishments in regard to to the success the team has just had. On the other hand, I've observed that in times of setback, 
In times of difficulty, disappointment, or loss, I've observed that the most effective leaders publicly step forward and take responsibility for the setback or difficulty, disappointment, or loss. Privately, they may bring accountability to bear with individual team members or the team as a whole, but publicly, they step forward, they take responsibility. I think that is a less frequent occurrence than perhaps it once was in leadership. I think um, the willingness of a leader in times of setback to step forward as the leader and say, hey, that, that's mine to own. Um, we're going we're gonna to work to make these corrections. And, and then privately, let's go figure out what needs to change, what, what do we need to do differently in order to be successful in the future. That, I see that less commonly, but I see that in the, with the most effective leaders. They share credit for success. And they take responsibilities for setback. What do you think are the most common causes of a team underachieving? Now, let's define underachieving as that that team had the, the capability, talent, and other resources to be more successful than they're experiencing. What do you think are the most common causes of a team underachieving? Well, one I would point to is a lack of alignment. And this lack of alignment can come from confusion or uncertainty around roles, responsibilities, and authorities. It can be in uh, another cause can be inconsistency of accountability. We know from Gallup's research on employee engagement how important it is that team leaders are consistent in holding accountable their team members. I think they're are opportunities for underperformance when leaders don't deal with issues. In my own observation, and I wish this this next statement wasn't true, but in my own observation, overwhelmingly, problems don't fix themselves. Leadership issues don't repair themselves. I don't know what the percentage is, but overwhelmingly, leadership challenges Team problems don't repair themselves. They need a leader to step into that situation and bring improvement to that situation. Another reason why teams would underperform would obviously be a lack of talent. They just either don't have the necessary skill or perhaps the, the, they are lacking in human resources. And, and right now, uh, going on across uh, the workforce or all the uh, different industries, um, overwhelmingly, I'm seeing organizations who are in need of additional people. We're shorthanded, and um, th- this compounding because the people we do have are uh, working, uh, you know, many times uh, extremely long hours under challenging conditions, and, and that can't continue just in, uh, uh, forever. It's not sustainable. So either there's a lack of talent or there's the lack of needed human resources. Another reason why teams may underperform is a culture that has eroded or is not as healthy as it needs to be. 
Culture is so important. The leadership mantra that says culture eats strategy for breakfast. I think that's a great reminder of the significance of culture. You know, if you just looked at your team, how healthy is your culture? Is your team a place where people want to be? Is it a place where people are are coming and staying, um, you know, uh, above the industry norm. There's always going to be some transitions from our teams. People get new opportunities, and that's good. Uh, by the way, as a team leader, when someone has an opportunity to better themselves, um, let's just wish them well, thank them for their, their contributions to our team. You know, who knows? Maybe in a few months or a year, that person uh, may want to return uh, to your team. There's no reason to make somebody who's who's bettering themselves feel guilty about taking that opportunity. Culture is such an essential part of the most effective teams. The most effective teams put a great deal of energy and effort into establishing a culture that's healthy, that's strong, that's inclusive, that that is designed to bring out the best in people, to help people grow, that uh, we're all aligned around how we interact with one another, how we represent our company in a variety of different ways, how we uh, interact with our various stakeholders and customers. There is an understanding about that. There is clarity about that. And there is accountability when we don't hit the mark, and there's appreciation when we do. Accountability without appreciation is not near as effective as accountability with appreciation when we hit the mark. Let's be balanced in that. You know, getting a group of people to work together towards a common objective, which is what we typically call a team, a group of people working together towards a common objective, it's not a given. It's not an automatic. It's not a certainty that that's going to happen. I have a few thoughts for you as you consider how to Uh, best align your team to get this group of people to work together towards a common objective. One, I would urge you to invest in your team. Invest in your team in a variety of ways. Invest in your team as a whole. Spend some time each year investing in your team. Invest in your team as a whole where, where there's an experience as best as possible uh, obviously, given the size of your organization, this this could be a little bit different. But what experience can we have as a whole that would express gratitude and potentially a development opportunity for our team? There's so many different uh, opportunities to do that. A second investment would be invest in the development of the individuals that make up your team. Help your the individuals develop their skills, raising that talent level. Raise your talent level. You increase the capabilities and potential of your team. Develop leaders. Invest in the people on your team who have the desire and capability to be future leaders. It's just so smart to those people who already align with the culture. They are uh, highly productive in their current role. They possess a capability to lead. They have influence with their peers now, and they have a, a desire to lead. Let's invest in them. Let's get them ready for uh, the growth 
that we may experience in our company. Let's get them ready for the transitions that will occur. Let's get ready for the future where we know we need to be succession planning and getting people ready. Let's invest in the skills of our individuals. Let's invest in the leadership potential of our individuals. Speaking of leading uh, teams, leaders, let's just keep something in mind. The further a leader gets away from the front lines, the easier it is to forget how challenging the work is on the front lines. Companies do something, and the bulk of the workforce is closer to the front lines. That The company, that they produce a good, they provide a service. And, and there's a front lines aspect to all that work. And the more we ascend in leadership, the higher we go, the easier it is to forget how challenging it is on the front lines. And yes, we have a leader who leads the people on the front lines, and that may be you. Let's still keep in mind that front lines are vital, and the work is often challenging. But let's say you're a couple of levels above that now, and you have strategic responsibilities. I get it. Somebody else is leading the front lines. Take an opportunity on occasion to visit the front lines, to recognize and express appreciation for the people who do the crucial task that your organization does. No matter what it is that your organization does, there's a front lines component to it where the, where the bulk of the work occurs. Let's make sure that we're appreciating and recognizing the people on the front lines. Team leadership is not easy. Not all teams reach their potential. In this episode of Leadership Upside, I have just wanted to offer a few thoughts and perspectives regarding team leadership for your consideration. There are times where I'm in a, in a setting with a team that you recognize this is an outstanding team. And there's some qualities that just jump out to you. Yes, they're talented. But they are aligned. They work well together. They respect one another. You can see it. You can feel it. They respect the leader. But the leader is not stifling. The leader allows for input and perspective. And the leader has enough humility and wisdom to listen to the perspectives of others and make a decision that's in the best interest of the team. There's something energizing about being around a high-performing, healthy team. And I wish that for each of us and for the teams you lead, that we, we have high-performing and healthy teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Upside, where we discuss what successful business leaders and diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. If you'd like more information regarding our coaching, training, or facilitation services, please visit our website, chuckgarringer.com. Until next time on Leadership Upside, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Head over to chuckgarringer.com for more information.